Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Projects. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, where we did one chapter <clears throat> last time, I doubt that's going to happen this time. <laughs> and so uh, we're in the middle of our book by Scott Christensen, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Glory, a Sovereign Glory. And uh, we're kind of presented our case now. We've established that there is such thing as evil, which whoever you are kind of believes that in yeah. some capacity. And we understand that uh, there's a foundation for it that we have that perhaps folks who are don't believe in God right. uh, don't seem to have, right? right? And so now we're getting the, the, the thicket of everything. We're, we're having to clarify certain principles and certain ideas that uh, have kind of been consistently used or uh, have been the most popular. And so Christensen um, uh, here uh, is, is starting to form kind of the the bounds of, of what he's wanting to talk about. He's he's saying, here's what's worked. Uh, here's some of the answers given. And so uh, now he's going to say, but are they scripturally true? Right. What's what's the foundation? And so right. that that's what we've always talked about here, especially on the show, is a grounding. We have to have a grounding in uh, our, our ability to know something. If not, it, then it's just an opinion that we have. It's a position that we hold that holds no sway. I mean, I've, I've, uh, one of the, the comments on one of the videos that we had recently is just, uh, you know, that there are no, uh, moral realities, uh, no matter how, what you want to believe <laughs> just, just that. And uh, so it's like, okay. So that, is that a moral reality? I mean, you yeah. know, that, that just, that just seems to be a statement to yeah. me and yeah. that, that just is a thing that, well, okay, I don't believe you yeah. oh, there uh, now, now where are we? <laughs> and so we, we, we are kind of clarifying, okay, well, you know, if we're Christians, if we're people that believe in the God of the Bible, we need to clarify things in light of that revelation. Who God reveals about himself needs to come out and our answers have to be consistent. Because, you know, if we imagine yeah, uh, uh, a God that uh, has, a, has only a physical form and he exists in the clouds and he's not, you know, all, all present, he's not omnipresent, then we run into issues. But if, if we were to do that, we'd be Mormons and we wouldn't actually believe what's in uh, the Bible and we'd have a different standard. And so uh, th- that's what we're doing here. We're not going to get into everything. We can't get into everything. Not all the answers are going to be uh, resolved here uh, because this one chapter has many books that we can recommend and d- many different uh, uh, shows and avenues and people have been talking about it for many, many years. But uh, it is important because we are having to clarify well, what about this knockdown, drag out argument that uh, has been consistently applied? Uh, it seems to the majority of scholarship, especially from that kind of bottom up uh, perspective of we have free will, and therefore we have the freedom to choose evil. Therefore, evil things happen because we have that freedom. Yeah. That seems to be um, uh, what's kind of been most known, and uh, even uh, Christensen in our last chapter has said that uh, Plantica's version of it has kind of stopped all all avenues of the logical problem of evil and, right. and, and right. with, with that idea. Unfortunately, there are some implications that um, that free will idea brings out, and so that's where we're starting this chapter. So uh, we're not going to cover everything, but uh, there's a lot more to read here, and there's a lot more counter ones, but it's nice because... Uh, you have an interview that we can go over that talks about free will and what about free will and what's the reform perspective. 
and then um, also uh, what's else covered in the book here. All right, so this chapter actually criticizes what we would generally think of as a Christian position, right? Yeah. He, he's going to say, this is uh, some believers hold to this particular position with regard to evil, and yet he's going to suggest that he doesn't think it works, right? right? that there are problems. With it. In fact, I think he's going to list nine problems with it here. We probably won't get that far right. in this episode, but yeah. So he doesn't think this, this particular position uh, works right, and so we'll, we'll see that. When I first read through this, I was saying, "Wow, you know, you're you're giving um, ammunition to the enemy here, right?" <laughs> so he's gonna have a lot of explaining to do when he gets to his position, right? right. And, and and so that that that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, like, okay, well, you know, if we have this this idea, this argument already, and it does really good uh, among the critics, uh, well, you know, why you why are you pulling it out? So he's saying. Because it doesn't seem that it's the biblical position. And so uh, that's where we're starting in chapter 5 of guarding the sacred treasure of free will. The sacred treasure. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) And of course, uh, he starts out with a good uh, little hobbit story, but uh, we're going to start a little bit later. And he says that uh, many Christians look upon the possession of free will as a sacred treasure from God above. The God of free will theism is an infinitely benevolent and undefeatable God who fiercely guards this treasure, not merely for himself, but for the good of his moral creatures, especially his his image-bearing ones, humans, humanity. First, he knows that free will is an indispensable master key that alone can unlock meaningful and loving relationships. If I don't have the ability to not love somebody, then I'm just a robot and I'm not loving that person. Uh, but also, uh, the, the uh, there's, it's, it just seems to be, if I'm being, uh, controlled or, or, yeah. or tricked into it, then, yeah. then, uh, that wouldn't be the full idea of, of what real love. So this seems to say, oh, uh, this is the only way real love is possible. And, and we can make meaningful decisions this way. By having free will or by, bad by having free will. Yeah. So free will gives us, uh. Uh, as he says here, the master key that allows us to to love. Yeah, right? Right? yeah. I, I remember making this point too. Uh, you know, why do uh, people do evil things? Well, because we have the ability to choose. We have we have the ability to make good choices and bad choices, and we just keep making those bad ones. Is that what Scripture says? Second, he understands that uh, freedom of choice is a properly basic feature of our humanity. So we are free because that is. Part of, that makes us human is, is right. that it's who we that, are that right. completely free, devoid of all con- <laughs> being controlled. Uh, and, and so in, ensures our ability to act in morally responsible ways it means that our actions have legitimate, real moral implication choices. And moreover, this treasure of free will also ensures that God himself cannot be blamed for the irresponsible use of it by his morally responsible creatures. So this, so this particular, uh, teaching of free will, uh, does a lot of work. It seems right. It allows for love. It allows for us. Uh, it's, it's part of who we are in terms of our nature and it gets God off the hook with regard right. to being responsible for evil. So, uh, you know, come on Christians and right? right. What's, you know, why yeah. are you going after right. this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> We, you know, the why? Why did the God allow the Holocaust happen? Whoa, 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 that that's you to blame. That's nothing on God. So yeah. sorry, step back on. <laughs> but there might be issues with that idea. And so he says that free will theists employ free will for the problem of evil, 
in what is known as the free will defense. We've kind of already uh, talked about this in uh, previous versions. So this response, he tells us, to the problem sees the preservation of free will as vital. Without it, good is not possible, mm-hmm. right? So that's the importance of it, according right. to these folks. Uh, but he says with this comes, this at its free will, comes great risk, uh, you know, by its abuse. We can abuse it, right? The unfortunate reality of evil is introduced into our experience because we have this free will, so it, so we can abuse it. He says the free will defense reviews, uh, view rather, uh, views God's providence as a noble model of, notice, self-restraint. Right. So God, you know, allows us to make these various horrible decisions and (laughs) actions. Right. So the free will defense views God's providence as a noble model of self-restraint and non-interference, affording humanity a remarkable degree of autonomy. Right. right? The the ability to, you know, act on our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Furthermore, it's often coupled with this natural law defense. Free creatures must have a world governed by predictable, stable laws in which to operate. Thus, God cannot be frequently interfering with those laws or human freedom. Otherwise, it would tamper with the environment in which free decisions are most maximized. So, All right, so we have these two yeah. balancing being things, right? We have free will on one side, and then we have the natural law on the other side, right? right. The natural law, obviously, are the various laws of nature, and of course, if God always monkeyed with the various laws of nature, then things would be chaotic. We would never know, you know, what might happen the next time. We wouldn't have any prediction, uh, and we would be in a mess, right? So we need this natural law idea is what he's getting at. Right. Yeah. But how are we to assess these popular theodicies? Do they hold up under scrutiny of the Bible's testimony about God, mm. about the Bible's testimony <laughs> about human nature? And the Bible's testimony about moral responsibility, because again, where is it grounded in? Is our, our grounding in our ideas of, of what we can reason up to and say, this sounds like a good idea of who God is? Or do we take what's revealed in scripture and say, okay, let's see if our ideas match what's revealed as our ultimate standard of truth? All right. Is free will a rational and biblical response to the problem of evil? And so that's what this chapter uh gets into. All right. So the free will defense here is his next uh, section here. And he says, there's no question that the free will defense is the most common response to the problem of evil. We saw that uh, in his previous Mm -hmm. chapter. It employs a version of human uh, free agency that philosophers and theologians refer to as libertarian free will. Right. So what is libertarian free will? Well, he says it can be defined uh, as follows. Each of us, when we act, is a prime mover unmoved right so we each act on our own basically in doing what we do we cause certain events to happen and nothing or no one causes us to cause those events to happen right so we can make these decisions we can uh you know cause certain events to happen and nothing is coercing us to cause those events to happen, right? Nothing is causing us to cause those events. Right. So we have libertarian free free will. That's the idea here. Right. The two important ideas here is that God cannot be the originator or the, the determiner of our choices, that truly free acts are uncaused outside our own choosing. Right. So not even God 
if free will is, if we're being consistent, can cause us to act in a certain yeah. way. Otherwise, we wouldn't have libertarian free will, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, only we can be the sufficient cause of our own choices, what philosophers call the agent causation. So we're the, we're the, the, the first things that kind of move our action. If we are truly free in that action, we can you know, think of all these other scenarios like, uh, you know, we're strapped with a bomb and we're told to go into a bank and rob it. And, um, you know, uh, sh- should we then, uh, you know, once the kidnappers get uh, loose and get the money and get caught and the die pack goes off and we get the bomb unstrapped from us, then we get arrested because, I mean, we robbed we the bank. We were the ones, yeah. We did it. Yeah. But we were coerced. There was massive coercion that overruled our free will in order to not rob the bank. <laughs> I mean, there's still free will to say no. Um, but you know, the, the the bomb would explode and our story would end. So we have to keep going. <laughs> so our choices are not determined by anyone, especially God or anything outside our own will to choose. Most libertarians uh, embrace a second plank in their definition of free will that philosophers call the principle of alternative possibilities, or PAP for short. Uh, the, this is kind of the the. I, I chose to do A. Could I choose to do B instead? You know, I, I went for the chocolate ice cream. Oh man, I'm I'm really regretting my choice. I'd I'd like to go back in time and go for the <laughs> pistachio because I've gotten hit in the head, and I think pistachio ice cream sounds good. <laughs> this is fancy language for the idea of the contrary choice. If Mary chooses one course of action, a her freedom of will gives her the power to choose a contrary or alternative course of action, not a in exactly the same set of circumstances. So, so this is an important concept that he wants us to understand. He's going to drive home here. Libertarian free will says that in any situation, any person, when you have alternative choices, can choose any of those choices without something causing that person to choose one right. or the other cause, right? So uh, they could choose, like you said, A or, or B, and there's... In any in any situation, you know, at, at any at any time, without anything causing them to choose one right. choice, that's they're free. Right? And, and so, when philosophers talk about this kind of alternate possibility, they would say, you know, A or not A, because within not A, there's all the choices that you could have done. You know, if if you're coming uh, to a, a two way stop, you take the the left way that you did take. Well, what are the op- alternate options? Well, there's the right way. There's stop and don't move. There's back up. There's get out of the car and run away. There's uh, uh, sit in your car and eat a sandwich. There's, there's <laughs> so many things that, that are included in the not A that you had the ability to choose, but you chose the one. But if you could go back in time and rewind it, Groundhog's Day type deal, uh, you could choose any of those other possibilities. Right. So that's, and, that's and nothing I'm causes you to choose one possibility over the other. Right. Right. That's that's the that's the 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 nut of this thing that right. he doesn't like and he's going to jump on. Yeah. Right? So a, a lot of issues that <laughs> I'm trying not to uh, to hold back on. That's right. That's right. presenting the ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so the free will defense, he tells us, is offered for three then principal reasons. First, it's uh, meant to ground more responsibilities in the power of uh, free choice granted to humans. Right. right? So one of so we're responsible for morally responsible for our actions because we have free will. Mm-hmm. It's ground, so it adds, acts as a ground for that. Secondly, uh, the free will defense seeks to exonerate God from culpability. That is blameable, being being blamed for evil that human beings freely choose. If God does not determine our choices, we do. 
then he can't be called the author of evil. So it allows God to, you know, to escape being being labeled like Phew, this, right? Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then thirdly, uh, many argue, he says, that without libertarian freedom, loving relationships are eviscerated, right? They're, they're cut to pieces, right? You don't have them. Uh, for example, if our choice to love God is determined by God, then it seems to follow that our love for him is forced, coerced. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, and coerced love, of course, is no love at all. <laughs> we would be unwilling prisoners, he tells us, of a tyrannical deity. Right? Of course, we don't want that. No. Right? no. So and, the free will yeah. gives us, you know, uh, uh, all of these things. It, it, it helps us to work through all of these issues. I mean, if, if you're going to chop down this tree, you better have something good on the other side to, to, <laughs> yeah. to build the house out of. That's right. <laughs> so thus, uh, if a meaningful moral good is to uh, uh, be obtained in this world, God must risk the unfortunate possibility of evil. Moral good necessitates, necessitates. That's the word. The moral freedom afforded by libertarian free will. But more moral evil is the unfortunate side effect of abusing such freedom. So yeah. You can't have one without the other. Uh, this is the, the choice that God had to uh, uh, come up with or to, to allow into the, his world um, in order for us to have the, the, the type of being that we are, the type of person we are, and to have a type of relationship that... Um, seems to be desired by him to us in scripture. Yeah. So for us to, you know, to have this, the free will is so important and such a good, good, right. That uh, God has, it's, he says here, the risk, uh, risk evil, risk of us choosing evil, but free will, we still, we have free will and that is good. Yeah. Right. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> According to most uh, free will theists, uh, those who are Arminians uh, and open theists, this means that God must restrict what sovereign power he does possess. He must guard himself from desiring to tamper with our moral freedom or to intervene too quickly or frequently when things don't go as planned. Oh, I really I really don't want you to eat from this tree. Mm-hmm. I really don't want it to happen. Please. Oh, it, it happened. All right. I got to, I got to do things. Well, I got to, yeah, they have to keep free will. So there's nothing I can <laughs> yep. do. Right. I, I have to restrain myself. Yeah. Right. That kind and, of and that's sort for all sorts of moral conundrums. <laughs> the plan he ordains his decree is a general plan. Here, here's a world where I want to have a relationship with free creatures. Let's try and figure this out. Yeah. It's not a detailed blueprint for history with this idea of kind of libertarian free will. Yeah. And so this general providence, right, this, uh, this kind of broad, you know, general plan means that intervening in a world in which people have such moral freedom, preventing them from acting wickedly, is to undermine the value of moral good, a value that is directly tied to the ability to choose uh, equally between good and evil. If God were to abuse his sovereign powers, says, says these folks, right, he would abuse man's freedom and prevent all meaningful good from taking place. Thus, he must self-restrain. He must self-limit his power in order for us to have this good of free will. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep, exactly what the Bible says. <laughs> <clears throat> well, 
believe it or not, there might be problems with the free problems. will Problems? Wait a minute. This solves all of our problems. What do you mean there's problems? Right. right. It, it, <laughs> it helps us in the academic world, but uh, once we take it out into the real world and we say, I believe the Bible, and they go, but do you? <laughs> there, there might be some issues with this. Yeah. How are we to assess the free will defense? Um, Tim Keller uh, has this, uh, a pretty decent quote in here. He says, the, the free will theodicy has become very popular, but it also may be so partially because our culture inclines us to find it appealing. Mm-hmm. It sounds uh, plausible to people in Western civilizations where we have been taught to think of freedom of choice as something also sacred. I mean, to the Americans. Oh, yeah. To the Americans in the audience. Freedom! Listen, I mean, don't we love Braveheart? Don't we love Saving Private Ryan? The idea for that, you know, uh, uh, self-sacrifice, freedom, you know, you're going against all things, you know, not American pie and Lady Liberty and, you know, even the, the cheesy movies of, like, the 40s and 50s, we can still find as just, like, very empowering because we just love that the, the you know we call it like the spirit of man that's and, right and, and you know the the right stuff we went to the moon not because it's easy but because it's hard we we love that <laughs> stuff but do we subscribe to this libertarian free will we choose to go to the moon right? <laughs> not because we it was chosen choose. for us yeah. but because we freely choose it with no course of action against us yeah. so uh, we didn't do it because the communists made us <laughs> so the fundamental problems with the free will defense as a response to god and evil center on the viability of libertarian free will and so here are some of the nine uh, um, possibility or uh, issues that he he uh, supports women. right. So, how viable is this idea of free will? Does it really work? Does it is it consistent with what the scripture says? Right, uh, which is our uh, basis of authority. Right. All right. So, nine nine issues here that he finds with this is, this problem of free will, using free will as a defense uh, uh, for um, you know for all these things. Right. For for good to happen and God not to be blamed and. We are the responsible for our moral choices. So what are they? Well, the first one he says is that libertarian free will lacks biblical support. Well, I mean, if that's the case, we should just go home. Right. right, right. You know, it's it's over. Right. <laughs> he says most libertarians assume that their brand of free will is a given and that the Bible operates on this assumption. For instance, right, the whosoever will passages like John 316, right? seem to suggest libertarian uh, free will whereby one has an innate ability to heed our, uh, or resist the gospel call, mm-hmm. right? We have that ability. Yet these passages, he tells us, and others appeal to, uh, can be explained in terms of God's perceptive, or moral, or instructive will, he says, uh, which can be resisted, whereas he is decreative or sovereign will cannot be resisted. So he's given a distinction between two kinds of will that God uh, operates out of. Right? Right. One is a perceptive or moral or instructive will. Right, This is what you ought or should do. The other is, his, is based on his sovereign decrees, right? which can't be resisted. Once God says this is the deal, it's over. Right. right? Yeah, and, and and you know we have to think about in proper categories here. So um, if if you're able to have different wills, uh, same thing with love. You know, there, there are different types of love. I love my wife with a different love than I love uh, my children, and so it's like, oh well, you know, 
you you you're using the 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 same word for for different things. Yes, because we need to talk about as uh, things in categories. And so, mm. if we can have different wills, why can't God have different wills? And so, um, th- th- it's just a, a a thing that we need to realize of what Scripture is doing, because um, we're kind of limited to our uh, our use of language depending on where we're at. And so, uh, sometimes we use these wills and we forget about the category that we're putting th- this this will in. Right, right. It's kind of like your ice cream illustration, right? Uh, this his moral or instructive will says you shouldn't eat ice cream, right? It's not good for you. Let's say, which is I don't know who would say, but <laughs> anyway, <terrible>. right? Yeah. <laughs> Evil people shouldn't eat ice cream, right? <laughs> but I mean, you're free to eat it. You just shouldn't eat it, right? Right, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. But his de- decrees would say something like, um, "I decree that we won't buy ice cream, and so there will be no ice cream in the house." Yeah. Now you can't yeah. eat ice right. cream. Right. Yeah. So notice they're both his will. You shouldn't do it. Uh, but uh, you can't do it is obviously what can't be resisted. Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. the or, idea. Or, or, or my will is to allow my children to eat it in the morning so that they have a, a stomach ache so that they face the repercussions of it. <laughs> well, my one will is to say no ice cream before breakfast. My other will is to say, you know, uh, well, I'm going to uh, allow you to do what you desire and we'll see what the ramifications of that yeah. are. Yeah. So, uh, So he tells us here that the whoever, whosoever will passage is also fit. He says the reform distinction known as the general call to salvation, which is extended to all sinners uh, as distinguished from the effectual call to salvation, whereby God effectually uh, draws elect sinners to himself. So we have that distinction here and it's consistent with that, right? So uh, the whosoever will passages can be, um, you know, the reform position, as he says, can support those as well. Yeah, and and so you can kind of think this like it's it's uh, only only Christ died for humans. He he didn't die for. I mean, there are ramifications for Christ's death as well. But the the salvation aspect, the message of Christ on the cross, is is really only for humans. What humans? Any human, any human made in God's image needs, you know, in in order to get. To, to the right side of God, uh, th- this is the way that uh, God has presented to us that we need to take hold of because it's it's our only way. We're, we've, we failed our own way. Uh, we don't have the ability to come before him. This is the way that it comes. So the, the general call is, you know, to take hold of this life raft and, mm-hmm. and, and hold on. The effectual call is God throwing out that life preserver to whoever he wishes to to come to him and grab right. onto it. Right. So it's the, so the general call would be, you know, um, take the life raft. The effectual call would be God putting the life graph on people and, or putting him in the right. life raft. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and all analogies break down. Just yes. want to know. It's just analogies. So yeah. let's, let's, let's not read too much into. All right. So first libertarian free will lacks biblical right. support. That's his first yeah. issue that he wants us to understand. And, and, and this, again, this isn't to say that there are no biblical ideas that people that espouse libertarian free will are like, oh, you're, you're right, you caught us. We, we just have a philosophical understanding. There's no way we can go to any part of the Bible. Again, th- there are conversations out there for it. And so um, uh, Christensen's is with the page limit he's allowing himself uh, is is making these uh, shorter claims that could be, you know, whole books. So right. there's that. 
All right, uh, the libertarian free will denies uh, meticulous providence. So this is the second one, right? So the plain reading of Scripture indicates that God meticulously decrees and presides over every event that unfolds within his creation, including the choices that his creatures make. He's not, you know, uh, uh, I, I've, I've got to go wash my hands. I've, I've turned around and come back and wait, what happened <laughs> what to the dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> where, where are my dinosaurs? Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah. they're, they're gone. They're, they're, they were gone for a reason, and he knew about it. Uh, furthermore, a scripture indicates that we are wholly dependent on God for every aspect of our being, having been created out of nothing, this ex nihilo. And that's uh, Acts 17, uh, 24, 25, and um, uh, 28 there. Uh, libertarianism, however, presupposes that we are sources of primary causality and thus largely independent of God. And so, you know, uh, th- there seems to be an autonomy here uh, that is separate from God. And I think that's a really hard idea to, to make as, as Orthodox Christians is to say um, there, are, there are decisions made that are outside of any grounding in God that we can just um, do, do what we want and there's no kind of creator creature distinction that there's no uh, reliance on God to be able to do this. It seems like the Bible says, you know, all things are held together in his hand and, and things continue to exist and have unfolded and were created for him and by him and for him, except for that decisions that I make freely in order to have it. And I can do it as wholly separate apart from God. I just uh, well it up within myself. Uh, God has nothing to do with us here. I've made an action Hear me, hear my high cries and my my low my low moans. All right, and so this one, what he's trying to say here is that uh, it's more than just broad general strokes in terms of God's control and sovereign control over His creation. It's meticulous detail that God is is sovereign over, right? right? And so he says the Apostle Paul is unequivocal in his affirmation of meticulous providence, right? The divine predestination of humans to salvation is part of the broader scope of the ordering of history, Ephesians 1.11, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. All things not yeah. just a few or not generally speaking things, right? But all things, yeah, right? Not, not, not just the wars, but... The battles and the actions and the movements. And and the choices within the battles. And yeah. Yeah. So God's will here, he tells us, can be done um, other than his sovereign decreative will, right? And so in this regard, libertarians hold that if God interferes in the affairs of humans, then their freedom and responsibility is kind of stripped even when they do evil. But scripture indicates that God intervenes to stop evil all the time, right? He intervenes. Right. Right. And if he yep. can intervene, he can intervene. Yeah. And so there's a, a meticulous sovereignty that God has over his creation, even the minute detail. Yeah. I mean, right. isn't one of the arguments that we hear is, well, why does God seem so active in the Old and New Testament, but now he doesn't? You know? mm-hmm. oh, okay. So he acted then, right? Like, uh, grant us the, the state that God exists and that the, the Bible is true. And, uh, Libertarian free will advocates uh, will probably espouse the same biblical um, uh, uh, accounts that that uh, you know reform people have, and so they're going to say, well, you know, God acted at the burning bush and the events of the plagues, and then Mount Sinai and uh, the angels uh, killing a hundred thousand troops. Mm-hmm. So why why was that 
allowed, but not not everything. Right. So right. why do we allow God yeah. to make those inter- interventions, right. right, and not everything? Yeah. And if everything's centered on Christ's sacrifice, perfect sacrifice on the cross, if that's what the whole of human history was led up to, then every action that got us to there is something that God had to intervene or or nudge or you know pick your pick your you know synonym with with move or have happen or allow um, all, all these things had to come to pass in order to preserve the line to uh, not face corruption to uh, carry out um, just the 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 murder of of uh, you know all all babies by Herod but not. Jesus, I mean, the, the, the fleeing into the wilderness, why flee into the wilderness and, uh, you know, why reveal that in a dream to both Joseph and the Magi, uh, you know, why, why have the Magi go even to Herod in the first place? Why, why so was that a thing that happened? like meticulous details to me. It seems like it's a thing that happens and, and it, it seems like that there, there are a lot of choices there that are made that seems like if you want to take the, 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 the path of least resistance. Yeah. This wouldn't be the way to do it. This seems to be intentional. So so the issue here is that God is control, in control of the meticulous details of his creation. Yeah. Right? And libertarian free will uh, doesn't seem to allow for that. Right. right? Um, I think we'll stop here. Uh, and uh, I think we're on two. Wow. Two of nine. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we, we, we wanted to to kind of set set up the the, the bowling pins as, as we do, and wanted to say that again, uh, there's more conversation here. There's there's more things to check out. There are more books to read. There are um, both sides of the equation are, are presenting it. Uh, and again, w- what I, what I enjoyed about his what about free will uh, book that we interviewed him on that uh, that we're linking in the show notes below too is how uh, fair he is to the other side, and, and he gives them the ability to present kind of their best case. And again, here it's one chapter and we have to realize he wrote an entire book against, uh, against libertarian free will that yeah. goes into greater detail. And so kind of let that book speak for itself as well. So um, I, I, the, the, it's good to have discussions and these points are, are good as well. Um, but, uh, but it's not to say that this is the end all be all of, right. of the conversation. Right. So, Come back for the other seven, and uh, and we'll figure out um, uh, once we've knocked down the pins, uh, w- what is there left yeah, for us? Where do we go from here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here here rises up again the 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 enlightenment to tell us that uh, <laughs> God is evil and uh, therefore He doesn't exist. So, uh, where do we go after this? But let's finish uh, knocking down all our pins next time. So, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.